Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at Soundbites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Patrick Stone, and I'm the Vice President of Government Relations and Advocacy here at the National Psoriasis Foundation. As we start this new year, we'll be taking a look at federal regulatory action and how rulemaking impacts you. Today, I'm here with Bonnie Duffy, who convenes the MAPRX Coalition. MAPRX is a coalition of patient and provider organizations that advocates for Medicare Part D programs. She'll be talking today about how regulatory policy is developed and why it's important for you to be engaged in the development process. So welcome, Bonnie. Thank you. So, Bonnie, what is the role of the administration in developing policy and what is regulatory policy in general? Well, it's important for you to think about the balance of government with the administration and working in the healthcare arena, we really think of the administration being the Department of Health and Human Services, and to some extent, the staff at the White House in balance with the Congress. The Congress passes the laws and the administration implements the laws. Sometimes when Congress passes a law, they leave a lot of detail out. They give some general guidance, maybe some specifics, and then it's up to the administration to fill in the letter of the law. You might want to think of it as the administration is dotting the I's and crossing the T's, perhaps putting in a little punctuation for Congress. I like how you frame that. You know, I think this is a part of government that the general public has very little knowledge of. What does this process typically look like? Congress passes a law, then the administration sets about implementing that law. They have generally strict timeframes that are set by a particular law, and then they also are uh, required by law to follow certain statutory guidelines in issuing regulations. So if you think about the administration filling in the details around the law, generally what they do is they issue their plan through a proposed rule. They issue that through something called the Federal Register, which is printed every Friday, and your staff at NPF follow what's coming down the pike by monitoring the Federal Register. And so they will see that HHS has published a rule that will implement, let's say, for example, some specific rules around Medicare Part D. Usually when they set a proposed rule out, they will ask for comments from stakeholders. So in this instance, NPF may read the rule and figure out how is this rule going to impact the lives of people with psoriasis and other diseases and issues that we care about, and then make a specific response. Once 
all of the stakeholder responses are submitted electronically by certain date and time, then the staff at the Department of Health and Human Services go through all the comments and respond to those. So they may change their proposal based on the submission that MPF and other stakeholders make. And at the end of that process, they have their final rule that they publish. And the final rules are what all the actors have to abide by. So maybe give me a specific example, because it's amazing, again, how important this process is, but is not understood by those outside of the Washington Beltway. So, for example, if we're talking about the Medicare Prescription Drug Program, or Part D, they will be setting out the rules that will help beneficiaries uh, access the benefit and understand what their out-of-pocket costs will be, and also the rules all of the Medicare Part D plans have to play by. Now, it's interesting to think about this process because it's very prescribed in terms of what we call a notice and comment period. But in Washington, as you can imagine, all sorts of conversations go on around that time. For example, if the administration puts out something that might be new or somewhat controversial policy, Congressional committees might decide to hold a congressional hearing on that particular proposed rule. You could imagine that members of Congress who wrote that law have a particular vested interest in making sure the law is implemented in the way that Congress intended. In these congressional hearings and in conversations that go on between stakeholders such as NPF or other patient groups and the Department of Health and Human Services and Congress, a lot of times people will cite congressional intent as something that they want to make sure that the administration upholds what Congress intended. Now, that raises another set of issues because Sometimes some members of Congress may have intended one thing while someone else may have intended another. And through the congressional hearing process, through the notice and comment, there's often a lot of looking back at the congressional record of hearings, of advocacy that was done around a particular issue, and other policymaking conversations that may have happened in other places. They may have been in your lobbying or your fly-in day, or they may have occurred through uh, op-eds and other um, media. And so all of those things come to bear as the administration is making decisions and choices where there may be vagaries in the law and vagaries in congressional intent. And that is one of the key reasons why it's very important to be involved in the regulatory process. So you mentioned a couple of different mechanisms, proposed rules, final rules, notice, and comment, but 
there's a whole suite of ways that the administration can approach this, right? They can put in a request for information, guidance memos, sub-regulatory memos. Can you walk us through a little bit of what those are and how they have different interactions with rulemaking? That's a great question. The formal rulemaking process is one issue that we were just talking about that has a very prescribed process. There's a notice in the Federal Register, usually some advanced notice, that a proposed rule will be coming out. That proposed rule comes out and we have a certain amount of time to comment on it, and then the administration has a certain amount of time to finalize that rule. One example that we have in the Medicare Part D space is the annual call letter. The annual call letter comes out early in the calendar year, every year, and in that call letter, the administration gives rules and policies for prescription drug plans in the Medicare program to follow. And that is very much of a formal rulemaking, and we know when it's coming, and it does happen every year. Bonnie, can you talk a little bit about the difference between guidance and a proposed rule? Guidance is something that's very different than the formal rulemaking process. And guidance often happens when the administration believes that it has the authority to issue some new rules for a certain program without having notice and comment. So a guidance can be something that we learn about through our relationships with policymakers in the administration, and the use of guidance underscores the importance of your national organization and their staff having ongoing conversations and building relationships within the administration because sometimes the guidance can catch us by surprise. Sometimes that's because we didn't have those relationships, but sometimes it's because the administration decides they want to assert themselves in a certain area and don't want to get any feedback. Does this happen often? I'll give one specific example that occurred recently regarding the use of step therapy in the Medicare Part B drug space. Early this fall, the administration issued a guidance that gave MA plans, that's Medicare Advantage plans, the flexibility to require step therapy in the area of Medicare Part B prescription drugs. It's an interesting issue because there are other places, primarily in Part D, that step therapy is already offered. So the administration put out a guidance one Friday afternoon in the fall and said, plans can go ahead and do this, and we're going to see what, how plans might do it, and we don't think anybody's going to do it anytime soon, maybe in 2020, but if they want to do it, they can do it in 2019. So lo and behold, we've now heard that at least three Medicare Advantage plans, uh, large insurance plans that offer health insurance 
to Medicare beneficiaries are going to move forward using this type of step therapy. And what we've learned from talking with people on Capitol Hill and the administration is there are a lot of stakeholders, a lot of patient groups, including NPF, who are really concerned about this policy. And so in addition to talking to the administration and saying, hey, wait a minute, many stakeholders are also talking to people on Capitol Hill and asking members of Congress to also ask HHS to reconsider this. The problem with the guidance is it's a specific directive that goes out, in this case, to the Medicare Advantage plans, and there is no opportunity for stakeholders to comment. So let's build on that. How can an administration request input from stakeholders? Another tool that the administration has and that we've seen the Trump administration and Secretary HHS Secretary Azar use quite a bit are requests for information. That request for information, or RFI as we often refer to it, is the opportunity for the administration to say, hey, we'd like to do something in this particular policy area, and we'd like to get you, the stakeholder, we'd like to get your input. Late this summer, HHS put out a request for information on prescription drug costs. And in that request for information, they asked over 100 questions about what should we do to try to hold down drug costs. Everything from um, trying to pass along some of the costs that are in the system now as rebates to Medicare beneficiaries, to potentially capping out-of-pocket costs for Medicare Part D, to a broad range of payment changes that they are thinking about in the area of Medicare and how it pays for and administers prescription drug benefits in the Part D and the Part B program. So that is an example of a request for information. That's great. It, it seems like a whole lot of this work in healthcare policy is done on the administrative side of things and not simply on the legislative side, as many people think. So I'd love your perspective on why it's important for advocates to be engaged with the administration and maybe a, a bit about how advocates can add their voice to the conversation. So advocates are so important to the policymaking process, and I'm sure you have spent time getting to know your member of Congress or working with NPF to provide your story so they can lift up your particular experience as a way to influence policy. I would urge you to remember that the issues and policies that come across the desk of any individual member of Congress, any staffer in the administration, are just a magnitude that hardly any of us could possibly imagine. And what 
you as advocates are attempting to do is to convince them that your story and your situation is so compelling that they want to listen to you and to your solution to that particular program or problem and take your solution and act on it. And we've talked a lot about how the administration is filling in the details of the law. So just as it's important for you to tell your story to members of Congress and for them to understand the course of your disease or the disease that your loved one faces, it's also important for people who work in the regulatory arena to understand that. One route that many people take is working through a national organization such as NPF. I would never suggest to someone that they need to read the Federal Register, for example. It's sometimes thousands of pages of small print and arcane issues, but if you stay connected to your national organization and your national organization in turn is monitoring the ongoings and the rulemakings of the administrative process in the areas that concern you, such as Medicare, Medicaid, potentially the Affordable Care Act, then they can lift up your stories and use your experience and your your stories to influence this process. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. This has been a really wonderful conversation. We appreciate not only your time today and your insights on the regulatory process here in D.C., but the overall work you do with the MAPRX Coalition. Thank you again. For those of you listening, if you have any questions about the advocacy work of the National Psoriasis Foundation and how you can get involved, you can email us at action at psoriasis.org, engage us on Twitter using the hashtag NPFAdvocacy, or by downloading an app on your smartphone called Voter Voice. Voter Voice will allow you to get real-time updates on advocacy activities at NPF and how you can directly take action. This has been Patrick Stone on behalf of the National Psoriasis Foundation. Thank you for listening and have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, visit psoriasis.org or contact our Patient Navigation Center at 1-800-723-9166 or email education at psoriasis.org.